Hey, what's up, Willow? Hey, whether you're watching from a downtown apartment uh, or at a watch party in someone's living room, uh, maybe you're watching on a treadmill or tuning in from your dorm room, I just want to say welcome. It's so glad to be with you. Welcome to church. And if, especially if you are brand new, we just want you to know that we are so excited that you are joining us because I, I think you'll be encouraged by what we talk about today. I don't know about you, but I, I need some encouragement. I'm I'm kind of tired of COVID. I am, I'm tired of quarantine. I'm, I'm frustrated because I want everything to open up again. All right. And, and then here comes a guy named Paul, this first century church leader, probably the perfect guy to speak right into our frustration because you know what? He's writing from the original quarantine, a, a first century prison. And yet, Somehow, he's figured out the secrets to having joy, even in the midst of the challenge, even in the midst of the trouble. And, and we talked about that a little bit last week. If you didn't, if you didn't catch it, go back and, and look. We, we looked at the first chapter of Philippians, and, and we announced also that week that rather than wonder each week whether or not we can open up weekend services, that we were going to lean in and focus on what we can do safely. And guys, I... I've been blown away. This week, I've been blown away. We were already engaging in weekends online, but so many of you now are inviting small groups of people to your homes, to your workplaces, and you're praying together, and you're encouraging each other. I mean, we literally went from seven locations to hundreds of locations. And Willow, I'm telling you, man, you cannot stop this church. The other night, listen, the other night, I had a family from Willow invite my wife and I over, and uh, he works in the city, and he invited some African-American friends from the city over to his house, and then also some of us, uh, some of his friends from the suburbs, and most of us white, and on his own, he facilitates a conversation on race and reconciliation, and it was beautiful. I mean, COVID can't stop the church. And then the very next day, the High Road Riders invite me on a ride. This is the motorcycle group at Willow. And they, ride, they invited me on a ride to go with them to a hospital and a police station and to encourage first responders. And we, we got there and we revved our engines and, and we honked our horns and we, and we prayed over these people. And I think we've got some, uh, some pics of it. But I'm telling you, Willow, you don't go to church you are the church. And like Jesus says, the gates of hell cannot stand against you. In fact, I'm going to say it differently. The gates of COVID, all right, cannot stand against you. And, and I know I'm new, but I hope I can say this. I'm just so proud of how y'all are getting through this tough season. It's, it's just inspiring. All right, well, Let's go ahead this week and let's take a look at chapter 2 of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote. And um, if you'll let me, let, let me start this way. There was, a, there was a little boy out in his backyard, and his mom is watching him through the window, and he's practicing baseball. And he said to himself, he said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up in the air, and he swung the bat as hard as he could, and he whiffed. He missed completely. Uh, but he picked the ball up again, and with determination, he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws it up, and he swings, 
and he misses. And so now, with a scowl on his face, he said it again. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He throws the ball up. You know it. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Kid shrugs his shoulders and he says, I'm the greatest pitcher in the, in the world. And guys, that that's confidence. And I got to be honest, I kind of like that kind of confidence, especially with young kids, man, when they've got that kind of confidence. I love it. But you know this, when confidence turns to pride, it can get really ugly. I mean, nobody likes cocky. Uh, you know, pride is that disease that when you have it, it makes everybody else sick. And Paul is going to teach us in chapter 2 that there's a better way to live. It's humility over pride. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now let's stop right there because if we're being honest with ourselves and and with this text that it might be a pretty difficult thing to think through this idea of pride. Now let me tell you why, because we live in a culture that seems to reward pride. You know, we'll say things like, hey, take pride in your work. Or with our kids, we'll say, I'm so proud of you. Or, you know, TV shows like the housewives of, you know, whatever city, it seems like they're constantly proud of everything they have and everything they can do. And, you know, or take sports, for example. I mean, trash talking is, is like its own sport or spiking the ball or that sort of thing. It's like we've taken pride and we've held it up like a virtue Whereas the Bible seems to talk about it like it's a vice. You know, one time Muhammad Ali was, he was at the height of his boxing career and he was about to take off on a flight. And the stewardess reminded him to fasten his seatbelt and he just defiantly folds his arms and he says, a Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant quickly says, well, hey, guess what? Superman don't need no airplane. So fasten the belt and Ali fastened his belt. You know, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, 12. He said, for whomever, whomever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's pride. And, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of pride. I mean, Paul mentions the word vain or, you know, you can think about vanity. And it's true. Some people are, some people's version of pride is that they're preoccupied with their appearance. They can't pass a mirror without stopping and staring, vanity. Or some people, their, their version of pride is, is stubbornness, that, that, that pride that shuns correction. You know, when we were starting 242, uh, the last church, we'd show up early each Sunday as a family to, to help set up the church. And Rachel and I were busy unloading trailers and setting up chairs and plugging in cords. And we'd try to give our kids activities to do to help them stay out of people's way. And my son... Luke, he was, he was three years old, and he wasn't having any of it, man. He was running all over the place. And I pulled him aside, and I said, buddy, you can't run around, or you're going to get in people's way. And he looked up at me, and he said, okay, Dad. But guys, next thing you know, he's darting around everywhere. And I, I pulled him aside, and I, I got to be honest, I, I lost it a little bit. I'm like, Luke, were you running again? And he looked up at me with his big blue eyes, and he goes, I don't know, Daddy. I wasn't watching my feet. 
Come on, somebody say aw. Okay, that's cute. <laughs> and, uh, and we gave Luke a timeout in the name of Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but hey, I mean, think about that. Are you someone, even when you're wrong, even when you've done something wrong, it's hard for you to admit it? I can be like that sometimes. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Wow, that's tough. Uh, but, you know, stubbornness. There's also elitist kind of pride, this, this maybe uh, undercurrent of belief that other people are just kind of beneath you. Uh, Sean Williams, one of our teaching pastors, a couple weeks back showed us the, that the greatest in God's kingdom is the greatest servant. And, guys, you know, if God gives you authority or position or platform, now we just need to understand that's not because, like, you're his favorite. He gives you that platform or that power to serve other people. I don't know if you've ever noticed a wheat field. There's some of the stems that stand straight up, and there are some that really are, are bent over low. And you, you might think that the best, most healthy wheat stems are the ones that are standing straight up, but the farmer will tell you that those stalks stand straight up because they're lightheaded, and, and they're almost good for nothing. They, they don't have a lot of kernels in them while those stems that bend over and hang their heads low, they do so because they're full of beautiful grain. And a, you know, a Christian ought to be like that head of wheat. The, the more we grow, the riper we grow, the lower we ought to bend to serve other people. Uh, the pride of elitism has no place in a Christian's life. What about the pride of image management? This sort of insatiable desire to win the approval of others. We want to climb the ladder of success, but then when we do, man, we want to make certain that our old high school classmates know all about it. Like, I want everybody to know how successful I am. Um, but we hope our coworkers notice our new outfit or the, the brand name that we've got on our shirts or or if we've been spending hours in the weight room, uh, we want to make sure that we wear in the tight shirt so others can see how that time is paying off. You know, it's funny. Uh, the American Medical Society found that the more virile and strong a man is, the more susceptible he is to the common cold. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm, I must be coming down with something. Oh, come on, laugh at that, guys. They're not going to get any better, okay? <laughs> and let me ask you something. Why are we so concerned at what other people think about us, about whether or not we've got it all together in our work life or in our relationships or emotionally or socially, physically? Hey, Willow, can we just be a place where we don't have to show off for each other, where it's okay to be okay, where we don't have to worry about managing our image all the time? I mean, listen, I want you to achieve. I want us as a church to, to, to achieve, to win, to become everything that God wants us to become. But I, I just want this to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. I need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. And so do you. And, and here's the problem with pride. You know what pride does? Pride destroys relationships. It, it hurts our relationship with God. James 4, 6 says, uh, God opposes the proud. And, and, and that means, you, you know, it, you're too proud. You, you're not going to admit that you need Jesus. 
So it hurts your relationship with God. Pride does. And, and pride hurts your relationships with other people. If you're worried about image management, well, then I never get to see the real you. And you never get to see the real me. And it isolates us and destroys relationships. If you're that stubborn kind of pride and you can't admit that you ever did anything wrong, well, then you'll never say you're sorry when you blow it. And, man, that hurts relationships. If, if you're that elitist kind of proud, well, then, then you think you're better than me, and, and then we never really connect, and that destroys relationships. Pride is a relationship killer. Look at this uh, proverb. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So, listen, if pride is a problem, if it destroys our relationships with, uh, our relationship with God and, and our relationships with each other, well, then what tools do we have to combat pride? Well, if we read on in verse 4, Paul says, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of, or excuse me, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, when you say the word humility, uh, instantly people's minds tend to drift toward, you know, weakness. Asking the question, you know, do I need to let everybody else win? Or can I ever receive a compliment? Or do I have to just be a doormat all the time? I mean, is that what humility really means. And I'm here to say, no, that's not it at all. Um, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Um, Maybe another way to say it is that humility is is taking a right assessment of of yourself. Alex Haley, the uh, author of Roots, super successful, legendary author. He's got a picture in his office showing a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. And the, the picture is there to remind him of a lesson he learned a long time ago. He says, if you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know he had some help getting there. You see, Alex Haley, in all of his success, remembered that he had help in his life getting there. Successful as he was, he never lost track of how God was moving in his life. And if we want to see the ultimate example of strength in humility, then we got to look at Jesus. Paul goes on to describe Jesus in uh, verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humility, and then he said uh, that our attitude should be like Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of of a servant being made in human likeness. Guys, if you struggle with pride, serve. Humility, service is an antidote to pride. Live a life of joy. Don't be proud and put yourself first. Be like Jesus and serve others. And then Paul's going to bring it home. He says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And sure enough, he was. Jesus was arrested like a a common criminal, ridiculed and beaten, stripped of his clothes, nailed to a cross in front of a crowd. It wasn't just any death, but it was, I mean, it was the most painful 
humiliating death that anybody could ever imagine. And as we close, I, I just want to kind of talk to two groups of people. One would be Christ followers, Christians. Because Paul wraps up this section and he says this. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, now what does that mean, continue to work out your salvation? Well, some people think your spiritual life is like a rowboat. Uh, so you do all the work yourself. And some people think it's like a, a cruise ship where you just sit back and God does all the work. But the truth is, the spiritual life is, is more like a sailboat. You know, you raise the sail. You, you pray, you humble yourself, you, you go to church, you, you do those things. You put yourself in a place where God, the Holy Spirit, the wind of God can come and fill your sail. So you raise the sail, but God really does the work. Christ followers, I want to say that to you, but then also want to speak to those who have not yet said yes to Jesus. And if that's you, I just want you to know that God loved you so much. I mean, he's seen you in times of of rebellion, like rebelling against him, and he still loved you enough to send his one and only son. Just like Paul said, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross, paying the penalty that your mistakes, your choices, your sins deserved. And he did that hoping that, that today you'd put your faith in Jesus and follow him with the rest of your life. If you're ready to make that decision, I just want to encourage you to reach out to our online hosts and you know, a- ask them questions and, and they'll follow up with you and help you make that decision. If you're here today, anybody watching and and you haven't yet found community, you have no community connection, then I'd encourage you to, to reach out to an online host or maybe send us an email at info at willowcreek.org. Hey, maybe your next step is, is with God is, is to give financially. We need your financial support to continue helping people take next steps with God. And maybe your next step isn't, isn't to give financially, but it's to receive. You need help. And uh, listen, we don't have all the answers and we don't have all the resources in the world, but if we can help you, we want to. So don't sign off today without reaching out and we'll do our best to help you. It's, it's why other people are generous in our churches so that we're put in a position that we can help other people. Or maybe God is calling you to love your neighbor, to serve them or uh, to encourage them or or maybe to invite them to watch a weekend service with you. Maybe next week you, you bring them over and, and watch together. Hey, whatever your next step is, uh, we're praying for you. In fact, can I close today and just say a prayer for you uh, today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you so much. And um, Father, uh, there are those of us who are, man, we are in the thick of it with this COVID thing. We've lost so much. And we just really need hope. We just really need encouragement from you. Father, there are those of us who are doing well. And Father, we're comfortable, but maybe too comfortable. And we need you to convict us. We need you to to draw more from us, draw more out of us, Lord, that we might love our neighbors to, to do what Jesus called us to do. Father, there are those of us that are watching this. And, and the truth is that I feel like we've maybe looked into a mirror a bit today and seen some pride. We struggle with pride. 
And Lord, I just pray that you humble us and that you help us to be servants of other people. Father, we love you. Father, those that are taking next steps today, we, we, we cheer them on and we know that you, God, are, are proud. You're smiling over them and smiling over us. Lord, help us to continue to be the church where we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name, amen.